Okay. Because the way we have the camera set up, oh. so you can relax. And um, the way we're going to do quite, we got them written out, and so I will uh, go through them here with you. Okay. And uh, I think Curtis will need the mic. Is that right, or is he already? All right. Well, thank you, Curtis. It, it's been such a blessing. We've gone through so much wonderful uh, information that we needed to hear. Just a, a few more other things that um, oftentimes you cover on, uh, on the documentaries. And again, we recommend getting those. And Agenda Weekly, I can just testify, just, just excellent information. Um, you know, Fox News or whatever uh, purported conservative station, you can watch that for five years. You're not going to even get near the information that you'll get just from Agenda Weekly for the reasons that Curtis said. So highly recommend those and the cards and, and pass out all the information. But just some other questions uh, relating to the subjects that we're discussing. Number one, uh, who was Karl Marx? And can you tell us a little bit about his, his life and his goals and why he did what he did, why he, why he had those goals? Well, I mean, Karl Marx is kind of the father of modern-day communism. He was influenced by many different people. Charles Darwin was a huge influence on him, and Friedrich Nietzsche uh, was as well, and Hegel and some different ones. But he was someone that was actually raised in a Christian family, which is really bizarre, and he even at 17 wrote an essay about Jesus that you would go, oh, that's someone that's born again, you would think. And then at 18, he's writing Venom. So no, historians have tried to figure out what happened. Something happened to him. In one year's time, he completely changed. And they think it might be his father, uh, who was in the church and stuff, he, oh, he, uh, he uh, just kind of, went the wrong way, and it just like almost just caused the sun to flip off. But but Karl Marx was someone that, if you look at his whole life, he was just a moocher off of people, um, off people that made money. Um, all his kids either died, died in childhood of starvation <laughs> while they were living in his home or committed suicide. So his entire family tree was rubbed out. Um, no one lived past the next generation. Uh, so he just was a miserable person. He, of course, was not an atheist, as neither was Lenin or Stalin. Communism is supposed to be this atheistic you know, belief. They always say that if you read, oh, communist or atheist, it's not true. It's, it's they're Satanist. They're, they're, there's a great book called Marx and Satan by Richard Wormbrandt, who is the famous... Uh, Voice of the Martyrs, guy that started Voice of the Martyrs. He was tortured for 14 years in Romania. Um, and he wanted to, after that experience, he wanted to know, what is this communism that could be so evil to someone? He got beaten every day for 14 years. Like, what, what, what is it? And as he studied Marx, he goes, all these satanic ties. So he was a Satanist. His famous quote that he said, he goes, my goal in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. <laughs> so he, he told you right there. I'm going to, de it's not, I don't believe in God. I want to be God. I will dethrone him and then I will destroy capitalism. So he's someone that just, again, that, but somehow through Satan's influence on him was able to write the Communist Manifesto in such a way 
because Satan is the father of lies and very gifted at deceit. <laughs> He's the master of deceit. It just pulled people in. A lot of people read it and thought, oh, this sounds good. And so it was able to grow, and especially through people that are being oppressed, you read it and like, oh, it sounds like it's going to be a great thing. But every people group since then that, that were able to finally implement it found out, that's not what they tell us at all. It's a nightmare. It's hell on earth, <laughs> I mean, is what it is. And so, um, but that's a brief overview of who he was. He just was a, a man that, he did nothing in his life. Only nine people attended his funeral. That's how unfamous he was, un-anything. But a young man <laughs> named Vladimir Lenin read his books in the library and said, I'm going to do that. And he then had the Bolshevik Revolution, took over Russia, and the rest is history. So it's a, um, it was poisonous ideas from a man that just really was just as pathetic as you come <laughs> during his whole life. Now, when you talk about oftentimes uh, we want to hear the information and not just know it, but now we want to act on what we hear, can you share, if you remember, uh, a story that you had? Uh, I cannot remember if he's the New Zealander, I think, that you had on your documentary. You asked him, who has done the most damage in this country? Could you explain, and, and how he was so active compared to many conservative people? Okay, so back in 2009... I was getting interviews for Agenda still. And there was a guy from New Zealand, Trevor Loudon, who's a good friend of mine today. And I, I, I interviewed him. We, we did the interview and, and we're talking a little bit afterward. And then I just happened to ask him a question. I go, Trevor, from all your studies, he had been studying this for decades, who do you think is the most influential person in America? And now that's a kind of a broad question. I thought he'd go, uh, I don't know, or, you know, Without hesitation, he said, Robert Borsage. And I was like, Robert who? Never even heard of him. And um, Robert Borsage, he worked with the IPS, Institute for Policy Studies, in the 70s, now has a think tank in Washington, D.C. So I took that and I go, wow, that's weird. A couple days later, I just um, found his website, typed an email, and I said, I'm making a movie on how much America has changed over the last 50 years, um, implying that I'm coming from his side. Um, I was wondering if I could interview for that. And the it's like the next, that was at night, the next day, email from his secretary, he'd be happy to do the interview on this July 7th, 2.30 in the afternoon at this address in Washington, D.C. And I, that was shocking because most of the people on our side to get an interview is six weeks of back and forth. Could I please give me an interview? Could you? They're all, oh, we're too busy for that. Or who's going to watch it? Is it going to be on TV? And just stuff that was all, I was like, it showed me so much about the difference. This guy who's supposed to be the most influential man in America on their side. Yeah. Then when I get there to his office, I was really nervous. And I acted the whole time like I was coming from his perspective because I knew he wouldn't give me the time of day if I wasn't. But I came in. He goes, oh, you know, sorry, we're understaffed. This was, um, so I had done Trevor Loudon before, but this was April of 2009 when I'm interviewing him. So Obama has just come in to, to, to be president. And he, when I come in, he said, sorry, we're so short-staffed. Obama has taken almost all my employees into his cabinet. <laughs> so right there, I was like, 
okay, <laughs> this is somebody that's involved in, you know, and his office is this beautiful thing about two blocks from the White House. I mean, right there to have influence on our country. And then he goes, oh, come in my office and set up. So I come in his office and he leaves. I'm in his, the office by himself. He's got a picture of him and Castro together on the desk. Like they're buddies. It's not like a thing. He's got um, him and Jesse Jackson and all these different things. But anyway, he comes in and we do the interview. And at the beginning, I was starting to feel nervous and embarrassed because I just had my nephew with me. And it's kind of, I said, this isn't a big thing at all. He goes, I, mean, I go, you know, it's just a little thing trying to wake people up to what's going on in our country or whatever. And again, he's assuming I'm coming from his side the whole time. And he said this to me. He said, if a hundred people watch this, it's worth my time. And I was like, wow, that's different than our side. He's like, if I influence a hundred, they're all into influencing people. Our side's worried about, is it going to make me money? Is it going to profit me? Is it going to, even good people on our side, but they were all too busy to, and so I just, and then, I don't know if you want to get into his strategy, but then I had asked all the people I interviewed in Genda, what can we do to make a difference at the end? And every single one of them had good ideas, but it was all one person, one thing. Write a letter to your congressman or do this. It was you individually doing something, and that's the, that effort ended there. I asked him the same thing at the end of the interview. Well, what can we – oh, one other part of this that was so interesting, showing me – my nephew, in fact, when we walked out, goes, no wonder we're losing. But he said this. I said, well, now we got Obama in there. What do we do? You know, it's like, oh, it's, we've got everything. He said, are you kidding me? He said, the fight has just begun. And I said, so what do we do? He said, we need now to get to the left of Obama and attack him every time we can. And I, I was even confused. I didn't know where he was going with this. I'm like, why would we attack him? He said, because it'll neutralize the other side that are attacking him from that side. He'll look like he's a moderate right in the middle. This is a month or two after he's taken office. They're already strategically thinking like that. Complain. Oh, you promised us single-payer health. You promised us this. You promised it. And so we're just going to keep harping. And then when we're harping, go, what are you doing to our country? It sounds like, oh, both extremes are complaining, but he's right in the middle. And I was like, oh, my goodness. But then when I asked him, what do we do, every one of his ideas was where one person was magnifying themselves out through a group of others to make a difference. It was never me writing a letter. It's you have 10 friends and together you sit down once a week and you get them over and you write, you know, it was just where you, he said, it was a one a genius idea he had. He said, you got to get each person that's on our side and engaged. They need to get a text group on their phone of maybe 25 people and they meet with them once a month to have coffee and just talk about what's going on in the world. But you get them, those 25, to agree, once a month, you're going to ask them for one hour of their time for something. And so you just, they're not having to study anything. They don't have to care about what's going on. You inform them once a month, month at your coffee. Here's what's going on. They're trying to, you know, pass school choice, which is so evil, and we're going to stop that or whatever. But then he goes, but then when you know there's a school board meeting or something, and there's something important, you hit that text and get all 25 of those young people there. And we're, then you, there's 26 people that are going, this is no good. Well, then they're like, oh, we better not do this. And so he goes, that's the way you magnify your influence because then you've got a group behind you even though they're not having to do anything. But anyway, it was just, it was like, he had so many good ideas like that. I'm like, oh. And then we walked out, my nephew goes, 
no wonder we're losing. I go, yeah. We, we just, we don't plan for anything. We don't know what we're having for breakfast today. I mean, we're just, it just, it was really crazy. Thank you. Um, another question. Um, the movement of, uh, I don't know what to call it anymore, LGBTQ alphabet soup, but can you explain how this movement is at heart a communist movement and the different ways in which the communists, the Marxists, are using this movement to promote their agenda in our country? Well, well, the communists are for anything. They get involved in any movement or start movements to fracture society, to cause chaos, to cause people to be attacking each other, dissension. They divide and conquer is their strategy. So they want to break countries, peoples, into as many fractured groups as possible because then they can they can customize the propaganda for each individual group and tell that group, well, we're on your side. You should have a right to get married if you love each other. And so then the, all the homosexuals are with them, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, this is good. And they don't care about that. They'll, they'll actually line them up and execute them as soon as they come to power like they did in the Soviet Union. But they will use anyone and everyone to get what they want to have. And so it's, so it's a... So again, the LBGT whatever is satanic. It's Satan using the wickedness of man's heart to just destroy himself. But then, the, but the communists see, okay, this is destructive to a culture. They're they're smart enough somehow to see morality matters. So I mean, in, in an interesting story, quickly on that, when Lenin came to power in the Soviet Union, he tried to do what Karl Marx had said because he had studied Karl Marx, where it was an open society. No marriages, free love, everyone can enjoy everyone, and then the state raises the children. Well, it was falling apart, and Stalin saw that. When he came to power, he outlawed divorce, he outlawed homosexuality, he cracked down, he goes, we can't, he goes, we push this in the West, but we don't want this in our country. If you, if the whole thing's unraveling. When you have no parents and no, you know, the kids are wandering around, stuff, it doesn't work. So he learned quickly from those errors of what Karl Marx said doesn't work. Um, but so they, they use those things. They see, and the more people get enslaved in those things and those movements become their whole life, then they know if we act like we're behind this movement, these people will be totally committed to us. But we're standing up for their rights, which is going to fracture the country even more. So, but they, they, they're great at either manufacturing crises or taking advantage of ones that already exist or making them up where they're not even like a climate thing, where they're not even real. The whole climate thing, that's unbelievably, that's Karl Marx. The last paper he wrote before he died was called On Nature, or something. Oh, I can't remember the name of it right now. In 1883, the year he died, the, him and Frederick Engels wrote, and they said, we're gonna use pollution to destroy free enterprise. Because back then it was black smoke coming out of the factories. And they said, that's, we're gonna say the smoke is going to stop the sun from hitting the earth, and we're going to all freeze to death if we don't stop. So I, I, he, he literally started that movement before he died, which is a lot of people don't know that. And then through the 70s, the communists really got involved in the environmental movement. Now, in light of that, um, when we talk about those who would say that they are political conservatives, economic conservatives, maybe a certain form of libertarianism they would hold to, um, can you speak of the danger of those Republicans who have no problem now with what is LGBT uh, in, in politics today? How, how dangerous is this? It, it's, it's so dangerous because um, 
I've met a lot of libertarians, and some people call themselves libertarian, but as you pry into them, they're really not. They're conservatives, but they know conservatism kind of has a bad name because it's they never stand up for anything. So I've met some Christians that say they're libertarian. I go, you're not really because libertarians leave out the morality, which is the foundation of everything. You have to have morality or you will not be free as our founders told us and as the Bible tells us. <laughs> um, you should know the truth and the truth will set you free. You, you have to have truth and you have to live by truth and not by lies to be successful. But they, uh, it's libertarians, a true libertarian, that thinks you could do the free to do whatever you want and not just what's right is the only thing you're free to do in this world, whether you believe in God or not, or not. Um, they would destroy us faster than the communists would on the other side. Because when you unhinge all morality from human beings, they will destroy themselves. Like the book Proverbs says, well, there's a way which seemeth right to a man, but it ends in death. So, so yeah, it's, de it's, de it's just deadly. Uh, you, have, you have to have God and the fear of God and obedience to his commandments to have freedom. And if you've started to take any of those out, you will lose your freedom, as we're, as we're seeing. I mean, that's what they knew, too. You get the morality. The communists knew everything starts collapsing, and then government has to step up and be totalitarian. You, and, you, and you literally have to. In the absence of God and morality, if the people will destroy themselves, like in California. I was just in California a couple days ago. It's just stuff that you just look and go, oh, this is what a civilization looks like that's collapsing. I mean, just drug addicts all in the corners, and they're giving them clean needles, just passing them out to them, going to the bathroom in the streets. This is, they're killing themselves, not upholding laws. People murder them. Well, he, he was mad at that guy. Where he had a right to, I mean, just, they're not enforcing the law, the DA, the, all the DAs and stuff that Soros put into power for that purpose. Once you abolish law and order, everything comes unraveled whether it's the law and order of the Bible or, or your state upholding law and order. So that's, it's all Marxist strategy because once you collapse and things are just chaos, you will accept big government if it means peace. Okay, we're going to have total control and you know whatever. You, you, that's what they've learned. The chaos makes people desperate for peace, and so they'll put up with things they normally wouldn't put up with. Now... Some weeks ago on Agenda Weekly, you had some episodes about the Great Christian Reset. And you had mentioned that some who would be um, conservative people or political conservatives weren't necessarily as interested in listening to that as some of your other ones because it speaks of the fact that you know we can't just vote somebody in and trust that they'll do the work. We have to focus on ourselves as well. Could you explain uh, the Great Christian Reset concerning us individually concerning the family, concerning the church, just briefly, uh, these foundational areas. Yeah. We're all prone to be lazy. I mean, that's in our sinful nature. And so as I look over my life, the conservative or Republican movement, whatever, the people, the grassroots people, that, that are a lot of them are, are good people that really love this country and love what's right, they've always hoped if we can get the right guy in there, he's going to fix everything. <laughs> and we've seen, no, it doesn't work. I mean, the eight years of Ronald Reagan, he did a few things that were good, but he didn't change the culture from falling off the cliff. It didn't make Hollywood movies any better. It didn't make parents better parents and more in tune with their children. It didn't do any of the things that need to be done that only we can do. And so, like I talked about earlier today, you know, the World Economic Forum is having this 
uh, Great Reset. It's set for 2030. We're gonna reset the way the world operates and they want it all done their way so they're in total control. But as I've been studying that the last couple of years, I thought, why does our side never have a plan? <laughs> We're just sitting there catching our breath and backpedaling and falling over backwards going, whoa, we gotta stop this, we gotta stop this. And I said, no, we need to start doing something. It's, and, and, and that our action of doing something will start being the resistance to these evil totalitarian plans that hates human beings, that hates freedom, that hates a world the way God designed it to be. So I, I've just started, I still have one more episode to go on it, but um, I just thought, well, Arsa, I'm gonna try to give direction. So the first, the Great Christian Reset, the first episode, I really dealt with repentance, because that's the key. If we're not repenting, God's not going to allow it to turn back. But we see many times in world history and Bible history when his people go, God, we are sorry. Would you help us? He does. <laughs> and he all of a sudden, okay, I'll crush these wicked under my fist and I'll, I'll bless you. So we realize the bottom line is we are the main problem. <laughs> Why is America collapsing? Us. <laughs> God, he cares about what the wicked are doing, but he doesn't vex if it's not like disturbing him like when his children are doing what's wrong. I mean, he knows the wicked are going to do what's wicked. If you're not saved, you can do nothing but sin because that's just who you are. But once you're saved and born again, you're not supposed to be that way. You're supposed to be different. Well, everybody's doing that. I know, but I'm not. <laughs> and you young people, you have to, the more you stand up and be different, the more those that people, God's working in their life, they're attracted to you because they can see, why is she modest? Or why is he such a nice, such good manners? Why doesn't he cuss? Or why does, they, they, I remember working places where people coming up after I've been there a few weeks, how come you don't cuss? Just like grilling me to the wall. And I laughed and, and I said, oh, did you notice that? I go, we're just working here. And I, yeah, you don't ever say anything. I go, well, because I'm a Christian. That's why I don't. And several of them ended up coming to church with me and got saved, which was really neat. But, but the world notices when we're different and we're supposed to be different. We don't want to act, look, talk, dress, and be like the world. If we're a clone of the world, then they don't see any difference. And our life won't be different because if we're following the world, even if we are a Christian, our life's going to be a mess. Um, so, but repentance. So it's us going, God, just like uh, tomorrow morning, I'm talking on the book of Nehemiah. He is so on. Nehemiah goes, we have sinned against you. He didn't say they've sinned or America. We have sinned against you. Please forgive us. My, our fathers have sinned and we have sinned. We need to do that by America. God, we have sinned against you. Our fathers, our grandfathers, our great-grandfathers, we didn't stand for the truth. Please forgive us. So that's the foundational one, repentance. And you can, if you go to Gender Weekly, you can go listen to the whole thing. I prepare about 30 hours each week to say those things. And, so, and then I say them, so it's hard to remember every detail I cover them because I have all these papers and I'm trying to communicate something important. But, but that was foundation. And then the next episode was church and family. Our churches, the pastors, you have to be preaching Genesis through Revelation, but also pulling in the relevance of the Bible to the current issues that are going on around us. Otherwise, you don't see a connection. It's like, oh, church is church and life is life. No, <laughs> it's all the same thing. Every day is church. Every day is following the Lord. Every day is doing what's right. And so the churches need to be the light and the salt in that way. 
where they're addressing the issues. They have answers for things. And those pastors, if they don't know an issue or what's going on, they go study it so they can feed the sheep and go, oh, no, no, be careful of this. This is not what it appears to be. They're not just following the crowd. Um, and then the family, of course, parents plugging into their children and teaching the next generation to love and fear God and to keep his commandments and, and to understand the difference between the two and understand all the lies and deceit they're going to get. So they're not like sitting ducks there going, well, that sounds good. Sin always sounds good to your flesh. And it looks for a season as if there's no consequences. But there is because there's a God. And he said, you will reap what you have sown. So, so many times when you're young, we're more prone to look and like, well, they told us not to do that. But they look like they're having a good time. Sin does have Solomon told us that. It's fun for a season. But then you can't undo that season so you have those consequences the rest of your entire life. And it's not worth it. And God said, don't do that because he loves you. He's like, I don't want you to have those consequences the rest of your life. So that was some of the ones. And then the next one will be on all the different institutions, medicine. How do we start doing things differently in the medical area and in economics and business, just in many other areas that we need to rethink and reset what we're doing. We need to go back to the way we used to do things. Um, they're having a great reset. We're going to have a great reset. But we're going back. And they're trying to go forward to some brave new world where that's going to be total destruction. And we want to go back to the time-tested paths that worked. Very good. Uh, switching the subjects a little bit because uh, we didn't talk about it so much today. Explain how communists use Islam and Islamic terrorists to promote their agenda throughout you know, the decades here. Um, and then if you could... Can you explain um, in America terrorist attacks that have taken place, how many in intelligence groups have been actually involved in those terrorist attacks and, again, why they're doing those things? <clears throat> again, the one quote I had this morning, uh, Lenin, he said, the best way to control the opposition is to lead it ourselves. They're masters of infiltration and subversion from within of anything they see as a threat to world communism. And if you do a study, even on the internet, that's not all accurate, but you do a study on terrorism in the 20th century, you'll notice something very unique. All the terror attacks that happened between 1900 and then the 1950s or so, the first 50 years or so, all of them were done by communists, blowing up buildings, bridges, Things about police stations, whatever, um, and even a little into the 60s and 70s, but not too much. But then around the 60s, all of a sudden it started being Islam that was doing all these terror attacks everywhere. And as it's been studied now, different people have come out and written books on it that were involved in the movement. They, just like the Christian church in America, they started infiltrating back in the 20s and 30s because they wanted to control it. They started infiltrating Islam because they saw this is a people that will literally die for the cause. A communist doesn't want to die. This is kind of their world. They don't believe in the afterlife. So they don't, they don't want to just die for the cause. These people are happy to, then we've got to manipulate them. And if you study terrorism from the 70s, 80s, 90s, all world radical Islam terrorism was funded, trained, armed by the communists. What's a symbol of terrorism in the world? The AK-47. Who makes that? The Soviet Union. And Red China. That's the only two countries that make that. 
Okay, so if, if, if they were training, there was training camps, some of the KGB defectors said, we had whole training camps in the Soviet Union just to train Islamic terrorists. They would come and we would train them and, and, then, and then we stir them up. I think half the clerics or all the different religious positions are communists, just like so many of our top religious leaders in America. They've worked their way up in there. They know, hey, if you get the top position, I think that's why a lot of our mainline denominations um, fell off the track 50 years ago because they were denominations that have hierarchy. So they knew if we work our way up to be the head guy in this denomination, we've got control of the whole thing. That's why they just went radical. Oh, we're going to have homosexual marriage in like a church that had been traditional or whatever. Well, it's because the top guy goes, I have, I have an agenda. <laughs> Mine is to destroy the church, divide it, to make it just the confusion. So, um, so anyway, so yes, Islam, it, so many strings. In fact, one of the guys I interviewed in Agenda 2 his mentor was a man named Alexander Limpfenenko. I believe I'm pronouncing it right. He was the one, you might even remember 15, 20 years ago, where he was poisoned with a radioactive substance. And he, he used to be a KGB agent. And he was in London dying. He said, I've been poisoned. And they're like, no, no, you're just really sick. And he goes, no, I've been poisoned. We did this to a lot of people. They put this poison where it's hard to detect. They did a radiation thing on him. They go, yes, you have, your whole stomach's full of radiation. And he died a couple of weeks later. But before he died, he said, I want you to know Islam is funded, trained, armed by the Soviet Union. And Putin is the one that poisoned him and he died. But he said, that, and that's why they killed him. They go, you can't talk about that where all the strings go back to them, they're like, no, no, you can't do that. And he also brought out, he said, in the terror attacks against the Soviet Union, the, there was apartment buildings blown up and stuff. He goes, we did that, the KGB, we did it. And they act like radical Islam did it so they could take over Chechnya and stuff. So anyway, it's just so much evil, corruption, deceit, as is common to man without the Lord. Um, and so, but then you, as you get in, and I'm going to be ginger on this because you can't, overwhelm people but just like maybe there's some things I've said today you're like I didn't know about that I didn't know about the World Economic Forum with their agenda that you can go right to their website and see these things unfortunately there's so many things that you've that's happened during your life or even over the last hundred years that the story you've been told about World War One, World War Two, Vietnam Korea, it's all, it's, it's a total lie. <laughs> when you dig in and finally, see what happens every 50, about 50 years, they unclassify all the classified documents from the FBI, congressional record, because they think, oh, it's been 50 years. No one's even alive that remembers that. It doesn't matter. And then a lot of the people I interviewed, their people like M. Stanton Evans, his whole life he spent just going into the declassified documents of the congressional record and things to study, to see the real history, things we weren't told you know, like FDR knew, Japan, I'll just give you this one, but I don't want to overwhelm. FDR knew long ahead of time that Japan was bombing Pearl Harbor. And he wanted them to so we could get into the war. And it's all been declassified now. It's a 100% thing. We had deciphered all the Japanese codes back in the 30s. So between the time that the fleet left Japan to bomb Pearl Harbor, we had deciphered 1,000 communications of what they were doing and where they were going and when they would attack. <laughs> and they didn't let the people at Pearl Harbor know that. None of the officers, know, but FDR knew it in the White House and said, no, no, let them attack because it'll get us into World War II. Do you know why they wanted to get into World War II? To stop Hitler, but not for what you think. 
to stop Hitler because he was taking over the Soviet Union. And that's the motherland. And you're not taking over the he's, We have to stop him. When they bombed us at Pearl Harbor, and if you look at timelines, you start to see all this. You go, did we immediately attack Japan? No. We went straight over to stop Hitler from going into Russia. Like, we weren't attacked by them. Why, why, why aren't we hitting Japan? What are we doing over here? Uh, and it was about a year later, so we started doing stuff with Japan. Anyway, it's just it's rotten to the core. But we know from M. Stanton Evans that he's a Yale researcher who was in my movie too. He wrote a book before he died, an FDR from all the declassified documents, 100% proof. FDR and his administration had over 200 Soviet spies that we know of that he documents in the book. So of course they're doing what's best for the Soviet Union. I um, mean, it just it, it, because all his advisors. Alger Hiss was his right-hand man. Guess what Alger Hiss was put in charge of at the end of World War II? Two things, but he was put in charge of writing the charter and becoming the first general secretary of the United Nations. And we know now he was a Soviet, he's an agent for Joseph Stalin. Um, he also was the one in charge, the only person with FDR at the Yalta talks, which decided at the end of World War II, all displaced peoples and Russians in Europe would be all sent back to the Soviet Union to be slave labor for them to work and build back the Soviet Union. It's all documented today. It's not, so there's things like that, and there's modern things too, which I don't want to maybe get into some of those. I don't want to overwhelm. Sometimes you go far enough back in history, you get the point, but you're not too vexed because I don't want you to be, that's not my point. My point is the Bible says man is desperately wicked. And we have to believe it when it says that. Well, he seems like a nice guy. He's desperately wicked. If he has not been born again, any of you that are not born again, you're capable of anything under the right influence and the right persuasion to believe, oh, it's good to kill off this people group or do that. It's just the Joseph Stalins are not an enigma. That, that's, man, that's man at his heart. They were just put in a system where there was no authority over them so they could do anything they wanted to do. And so the evil came out of the heart because nothing restrained it. And they slaughtered 40 million of their own people. They did whatever they wanted to do. And so that's, that's a key thing. There's so much more we want to touch on, but we're going to get to the questions uh, with those here with us. One question um, someone asks, can you explain the differences between Marxist socialism and German national so socialism as practiced in the 1930s Germany? Okay, just real quick on that. And this is key. All socialism today or communism today has gone to the national socialism of Germany. Th those were two sides of the same coin, very similar. But Hitler was smarter than Lenin. And he realized something that the communists, it took them 70 years in the Soviet Union to realize. We can't run business. <laughs> Government can't take over business because we don't know how to run it. And it, we're just all suffering. We're all starving to death. So Hitler realized, no, no, no I'm not going to take over business. I'm just going to tell business what to do. But I'm going to let them run their business because they know how to run their business. And he was smart, so it keeps a funding source for you. In the Soviet Union, when you destroy all the business because you have government run it, when they don't know how to run it, you lose your funding source, and it slowly collapses from within. When you do it Hitler's way, where big business is in bed with big government, then you have a continual funding source. 
They keep paying their taxes because you're giving them a monopoly on, on all the products for the country and everything, and they're refunding your re-election campaigns, so it keeps going. And then you keep passing more laws to make competition impossible, and so it, that can keep going for the long haul. So even all communists today in the world, they're wanting that more of a fascist system than, it's still totalitarian. See, if you look at Hitler and Stalin, Almost identical. Slaughter anyone that opposes you. Do whatever you want. But Hitler saw, no, I need the private sector. And they're not really private. It, it's big business. It's crony capitalists. I need these businesses to make the things, the war machines I need. I need them to be there. Uh, I need the engineers designing new and advanced technologies. I need all that. If the government takes it over, it's gonna. we're going to be in the Stone Age. That's what happened with the Soviet Union. That's why they said, oh, we're done in 91. Not because they're done there, and they're still not done. But they realized they were getting so far behind in technology, and they're just in poverty because their way didn't work, that they realized, okay, we need to open things up here to get America to start funneling us their technology, funneling us funding, which we've given them hundreds of billion dollars, hundreds of billions, since they said we'll be nice communists. And we've given, opened up our patent office to them, all the technologies, and it's caught up. Now they have military weapons. They're supersonic missiles and things that are so superior to ours, it's not even funny. They have one of the new ones they just introduced a summer or two ago. It goes 8,000 miles an hour. We don't have anything close to that. Um, and and, and, and their, their intercontinental ballistic missiles have up to 25 warheads in them. So one missile comes over and takes out 25 cities. Our entire military, our entire Nuclear arsenal now is down to 400 missiles of 30, 40-year-old technology with one warhead in each. And they have 1,600 that we, I'm sorry, 6,000 that we know of over there. Theirs are all on mobile devices so they can move constantly so we don't know where they are. All of ours are in silos and they know the exact location to hit to eliminate those threats. We're, we're sitting ducks right now. Um, and, and the, but that's God is God. And so we need to pray, God, you be merciful for us. I mean, remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham said, if there's 10, these two big rotten cities, if there's 10, would you spare? Yes, I would. That's who God is. He loves you. If you're his children, he loves us. So for us to ask, I've asked him many times, God, there's 11 in my family. I'm asking you to spare America for us. So we can raise the next generation and multiply out to take back the land for you. And he could do that if he wanted to. I believe, I know that. He might not choose to, but he could do that. And we need to put that faith in him and, and ask him. He's a loving father. Don't, don't be scared to ask him for things, but we have to be living in such a way that we're pleasing to him, where he loves that we have a heart that loves him and loves his ways. Just a few more questions from the audience. Uh, so this one here, obviously this is concerning a local government. So we have a globalist governor bringing in a lot of the agenda stuff right before our eyes. What can we do to wake up more patriots? It is so hard to watch this right before our eyes. Yeah, it is. It's discouraging. And I think it's supposed to be because when evil is prospering, it vexes your spirit if you uh, love righteousness. Well, one is you, you start local at the county levels, at the little city levels, to, to try to slowly influence, get a little control of a little area, um, and then just slowly just pray God, too, will expose. I always pray every night, God, expose their lies. 
have the stone roll back upon them. All their evil plans, let us, let them just, everyone see, oh, that's not good, where, where you just open the eyes of the blind to see what they're doing to destroy, even though they're talking like we're making progress. We're not making progress. So I think it's prayer specifically for your area, for your governor, and for the people here that God will bless your efforts to wake up one person at a time where you slowly swell the ranks or maybe you get a city council, maybe you get this. And, and always be in balance where that's part of your life, but your family's are part of your life, your church. You're just, you're, you're diversified into a lot of different areas for, for it's all to glorify God. It's to make his ways be the ways that you follow. Everyone is blessed. It's the way we love our neighbor. That's how we love our neighbor. We stand for truth. And whether they know it or not, it's a blessing to them when we do that. And when God blesses their efforts and we start to take background, it's a blessing to them whether they would say it or not. Um, and so, yeah, I just, just one step at a time. I don't really know how everything works around these areas, but I think we need to really focus local, families, churches, and then slowly move out from there, trying to influence you know, a little bit bigger circle, a little bit bigger circle, and, and then pray for God's blessing on that. Of course, yeah, anything you do like that when you realize our voting's corrupt, all right, we need to get a movement going for paper ballots and voter ID. It's just logical, common sense things. And then come up with things that explain that in a flyer to hand out or whatever that makes sense. It's just logical. Um, and showing the polls. Down south there, they try to convince us it's racist if you're for voter ID. Well, someone was smart go, I'm going to dispel that. They did a poll in the black community. I live where there's a huge black community around us. 68% of them said, of course you should have to show a voter ID. We want our vote to count too. I mean, the left acts like black people are idiots, although they act like they're for them. And they're, they're not. And so I live in a black community. So, um, and it's great down there. But, but, that, but it's just slowly, one issue at a time, helping them see the truth. See the truth. And then again, as those seeds get in there and people realize they've been used a lot of times they come over to your side and they're the base, best warriors you could ever have because nobody likes to be used. And everyone is being used that's buying in their lie that they're selling. Then someone asks, you mentioned people are going to starve, yet grain prices in the last two weeks are way down. Why? Uh, I'm not sure about the grain, why the grain prices. That's interesting. Um, we just know probably on a worldwide scale, there's going to be far less this year for many reasons. Even India that produced so much, they say we're not selling any of our wheat worldwide. And they normally put a bunch of it out there for sale. They go none, zero. So, um, but I don't know the specific, I, we drove through a lot of beautiful wheat fields on the way here. Um, and there's plenty of capability. I mean, our country could grow enough to feed all seven and a half billion people if, if we, that was our goal, easily. We went through so much land that I go, no one even lives out here. If someone was here to farm it, it's, it'd be incredibly fertile soil. You redirect some of the streams to go out there to have water and everything. We could produce easily. Um, actually, the, just the state of California, I had a guy that once had really studied this. He said, just the state of California, if you farm it, easily could provide enough. You farmed it all. Uh, for the entire population of the world, just California. No farming going on anywhere else in the world. It'd be easy to feed the world with just the fertile. They have such fertile soils. And then the desert areas, which are great, they have reservoirs up in the mountains to water those, although they're cutting that back now. As I was driving through, there are signs up. The governor, Newsom, is cutting off their water. So now it's turning back into desert from a beautiful green garden 
because we saw the areas where they still have water, and it's like you can't even believe all the stuff we saw growing. Everything grows there. Some of the farmers had a little stand outside their house. They had everything from cherries, strawberries, blueberries, mushrooms, that type of thing, to corn on the cob, to wheat, to to honey. To, I mean, it was just like, it's like a, it is amazing out there, the productivity of the land and the climate's perfect where they can grow, you know, year-round stuff. But so it, it, all that's a lie, the, the shortages, but I don't know if we're set up to transition that. And they're trying to cut it more and more, as we see in the Netherlands, where you have to farm less and less, even though we're getting more and more people. It's like, what's this about, you know? And someone asked, do you have any info on the biolabs in Ukraine? Um, not specifically, except we were definitely funding them, America. I don't know exactly what they were working on there. Um, I, I, I know enough about the other side that I know it wasn't good. Uh, I guarantee you that. Why, why are there these certain labs like that in, in Wuhan and there and in several different places of the world all they're trying to do is create, you know, gain of function in deadly diseases. I mean, it makes zero. They say, well, it helps us understand. No, it doesn't do anything. Um, and it's, it's, again, just it's satanic in that, you know, at some point maybe they'll let one of those things go that really is deadly. The only reason they haven't is they don't want to get hit by the same thing either. So they're going to let things go that are, um, you know, that are really not that deadly at all. They're just making you fearful, but they love fear. Just know that. I think before November, something big's going to happen. I don't know what. I don't, I just, they, if the elections are free and fair and everything is, is the right way, they know they're going to lose in a landslide. They know that. The polls even show Democrats, you know, 50% of them are not happy with what's going on. So, but I just know these people in their pride, they're not giving up the reins. And so I just, I'm just saying that not as to fear, but just to be alert and aware and not surprised if it happens and don't listen to the narrative for whatever happens. They're going to, oh, this happened. You know, China attacked us. It's probably our own country attacking our own thing. But I'm saying that it's just so corrupt. He was going to be talking about some of those things. Again, our government lost the Judeo-Christian Foundation long ago. So they can be just as wicked as Red China or the Putin or whatever in what they do. Our CIA has been killing people worldwide, just doing evil things, selling drugs to fund themselves for decades and stuff. So we just, it's not as it appears to be. But the, but the America you love is the America we want to go back to. The, the, the real thing where there were real people, 98% um, of the population in the 1770s were born again people that said they feared God back in the founding. They, 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 so, and the principles it was founded upon, the biblical principles of all men are created equal and they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That's all good. So, so the idea is wonder. It's just as much as you love. That's, and that's what we love. We have to know that. We don't love our country for all the evil it is doing now. We love it for what it was and we were trying to, with God's help, turn it back to that. And that is honorable and, um, and, and stuff, but it's, it's, it's tough because it's discouraging when you study it. But again, the Bible told us this. Oh, man's wicked. Yeah, that guy's not a Christian, so he'll do whatever is best for him. <laughs> and so anyone can buy him off. Anyone can do whatever because he's all he's thinking about is number one. 
And that's what happens. When, that's why this book is so important. Because if you're not doing it that way, it's every man for himself. And when it's every man for himself, it's a nightmare. The world, the culture, the city, the state, the community is, is horrible and evil. Someone asks, how do you think the war in Ukraine fits into the end times? Do you think it will end soon? Yeah, I don't. I, it's, um, I mean, there'll be wars and rumors of war. I mean, so, so it's, it's, a, it's a sign from that point of view. Um, there's so much corruption in, in the world and, and so much deceit. You know, as I said this morning, you know, Putin was a young global leader from the World Economic Forum. And then, um, what's his name? Zelensky is a young global leader from the World Economic Forum. I mean, he's involved heavily with the World Economic So on one hand, you almost go, this whole thing could be a hoax. It's not a hoax, it's happening. But they could have told him, attack here, do this. You know, uh, Zelensky, we're going to make you into a hero. We're, we, we want war because it creates fear. And, and it sidetracks us off what they're doing. Biden and them needed a war. Do you remember when Clinton was president? I think it was Syria or Libya. I can't remember now. It's been so many. But he was had all these scandals swirling around him, and they literally attacked. It was Libya or Syria. I'm blank right now. Just started missile attacking them, a friend of our country, to sidetrack us, which it did. It's like, oh, there's a war going over here. Just killing innocent people just so you would look that way and not notice, oh, he's doing this with so-and-so, and he's all these trying to save himself in office. And I'm like, that's how evil they are. They'll go kill innocent people, missile attack them just to say, oh, we did that because they, we thought they were getting ready to attack. And they make up all these lies that were not true. If you dig into that story, it's unbelievable when you get to the bottom of it. I haven't studied it for years, but when I saw that, I was like, oh, my word. So, so I don't know. All the, it's horrible what's happening, all of us. We never like to see people dying and innocent people dying. But what's happening in the Soviet Union, the Russian, I love the Russian, it's not the Soviet Union anymore. I, I was called back because I know uh, deep underneath that's what it is. But, I mean, the Russian people are wonderful people too. And they're just being cracked down on and stuff. I mean, these evil dictators, and Zelensky is a dictator. Don't fool yourself. Um, again, it looks like he's a little more noble in this and that he was attacked first or whatever. But, um, but they're doing something with it. I'll say that whoever asked that question... I know they're doing something with it because they don't waste anything on anything. And they always have a plan, and they're always 10 moves ahead of us. They're already planning out 23, 24, 25, 26, 27. Uh, it's like a chess game, and they're carefully thinking about the moves. We're not. We're just reacting. Oh, they did that? Oh, I better move my pawn or whatever. We're always, we're never, and they are nothing but strategic. Red China I mean, they make their plans in 100-year time frames. That's how strategic. And they know they will take. They said in 2050 they will take over the world, and now they move it back to 2035. And they wrote it all in a pa pamphlet that, we, that was found in America. Um, it was called Unrestricted Warfare. And you know, here's how we're going to take America down. In 1999, I think it was found in a hotel room, and it was their whole thing laid out. Um, and so... These people, especially communists, they're satanically driven to work toward things they won't even see in their lifetime. It might be the next year. They don't care. I've read autobiographies of communists in America in the 30s and 40s when they weren't having much success as far as the country. And they were so committed. I'm like, unbelievable. Even though they didn't get to see any of their benefits of trying to corrupt us and whatever, but they were willing to fight for 
the cause, you know, whatever. So. And then the same person asks, why do you think gold and silver are going down in price, but we are being advised by Christian advisors to invest in it as a safe investment? Yeah, I do think at some point it's going to go up, but it's the, those mar- the gold and silver markets for decades, they're just so manipulated. They're so, I mean, they just are. I, I or, or my in laws are in the, the precious metal business, have been since 1972. So, um, but they've, I've listened a lot at dinners of them talking about it, just and, and giving me specifics, which I don't remember all how, how they manipulate it with paper purchases that, and different things, and they let them go at certain times to drop the price down and stuff. But we know from the inflation and stuff going on now that's affecting everything, at some point it's going to hit those too. So yeah, it might go down lower before that happens, but if it gets you know at a certain point, it, I think it's a wise thing, and I think at some point it's due where it gets out of their control, kind of like it did in the in, in the early two thousands. All of a sudden, they couldn't keep it down, and it went from two fifty a share you know thing to nineteen hundred just in a few years time. It just kept going and going because it finally had to adjust for inflation. It had been that same price for twenty years. When you're like everything else has doubled, probably every cars and I mean, just think how much cars have gone up. You go to a dealer and you look at something like a hundred thousand dollars for a truck. You're like, it's almost shocking. You know, some of the nicest ones. I'm like, if you told me, if you told any of us 25 years ago, there'll be a day when a brand new, nice, top of the line Ford trucks a hundred thousand. You're like, that's ridiculous. You know, when I was a kid, I remember one time we were at a place. And Rolls Royces were for sale. And there was a brand new Rolls Royce for $60,000. And we thought, my dad's like, you could buy an incredible house for that back in, back in then. And we're like, that's crazy. But it keeps going. But it's strategic. Inflation is strategic. Because every dollar things go up, you get poor. And everyone gets poor. And poor people are easy to control. And that's the point. And they need help at some point. If it gets bad enough, you need help. And the government will be right there to give you a universal basic income so you're hooked in. And then, and then they, with the digital currency, they'll have track of everything you do. Oh, this guy's spending money on conservative things. or, And all of a sudden, that income will disappear before your eyes. What is your opinion, someone asks, on the Mormon church related to the New World Order? Yeah, that's a good question. I lived in Idaho for years where it's a huge... Mormon population, and they are so deceived. I mean, they, I talked to so many of them, had success with a few of them, but they have, that church has so worked to brainwash them in Christian terminology. They really think they're, some of them really think they're saved, and they're really trusting in Jesus. And I'm like, but it's not this Jesus. You're, you're trusting in a man named Jesus that is a fabrication, but he's not the one that died on the cross because he is eternal. He's not the brother of Lucifer. He's not all these. And a lot of that stuff you bring up, they're like, that, that's not true. <laughs> you got to go read your own books there. It's totally true. And he had a beginning and he had a, you know, and the Bible says, no, he did had no beginning. He, he is the alpha and the omega and stuff. So, so anyway, from that point, you keep reaching out to them because you, I don't know if they're around here or not, Okay, but but some of them, they always send two out. One of them is seasoned. One of them is naive. I several times when they came to my house by kindly, tell me your speed, tell me what you believe, listening, and then say, you have to listen to what I say when we're done. 
me kindly then telling them what the Bible says. T two different times they came. I had the weaker one crying. By the time he was weeping, because I think he knew it's a lie. You're going to hell, and this is a great deception. And the Jesus of the Bible, he did die for you, but he's real. And he and and so you can you can break it. And they yanked him, and they both times with this. The one started, a tear started coming down. That other guy, we got to go now. Boom, they're just gone. And I said, I'll be praying for you. And I and he did for a long time. But so don't give up on them. But the church is just another wicked thing, uh, like so many things, um, that is manipulating the people. And they make so much money because unlike the Christian church, they tithe because you have to. I had some good friends in that that I got to know. I started prying with questions. Um, and I said, do you tithe? And stuff? they go, well, yeah. And I go, do you have to? And they said, yeah, they come check your tax records every year. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, and I had one that got saved out of that, and he died the next week. And I don't think there was foul play. I think he was... A sweet guy I'd met, and his wife was wore the pants, and he knew he'd kind of already come to the conclusion this is a lie, this is not the truth, and he got saved. And but I knew he was going to have so much trouble because you know they, he goes they're going to take my kids, they're going to take my wife, they will force her to divorce me and marry somebody else, they will force it, um, and I'm like. And he was so overwhelmed with that, and he died in his sleep like four days later. And I don't, again, I don't think any foul play. They didn't even really know what was happening. And I'm like, God took it. God said, no, you can't handle this. Come, come home. <laughs> and, and it was crystal clear to me. I'm like, God just knew. Because he just, I could tell he, he's not going to be able to handle it. It's just too much. When you have your children forcibly removed, your wife leaves you permanently. They can never talk to you again. Um, so I, but I do not know exactly how they're in the globalist thing. But as we see them transitioning now, where they're not even holding the high moral standards that they, they had at one time. They had biblical standards in many areas, um, but they're giving up on the homosexual marriage. They're, you see that, so you go, okay, they are submitting to the, the global agenda, so they, they want to be accepted. So, so they will be used by that, whether they know it or not. I don't know of any direct connection. It'd probably be an interesting study. There might be but I don't know of it. And last question from the audience is, um, why does God allow the devil, and you touched on this earlier, I think, why does God allow the devil to give wealth, power, and influence to evil people and allow this agenda? Well, he has, well, you can ask him that when you get to heaven. He has a purpose in everything, but he gave us that verse in the Bible so we would know it is true. That he has, he's given him a little jurisdiction in certain areas where he's allowed to do. Like with Job, we saw God said, okay, you can do this, but no more. Or you can do this. So God, for whatever reason, allows those. And it's probably, again, it's all things work together for good. So it is just part of his plan in, in whatever way. But we have to just trust. God knows what he's doing. And nothing Satan does like the pastor talked about before, overwhelms God's plans or changes God's plans or whatever. So you, you don't need to be fearful of that. But, but it, it's, it's just, I, I don't, it's just the way it's playing out. And I don't, I don't have an answer for that specifically, but I'm glad he let us know that. So we would understand that, that Satan is powerful and we, and we should, 
not fear him is not the right word, to fear God, but we are to be respectful of Satan and not act like, oh, it's no big deal. He's after every one of you. He's walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, especially young people, especially people that are trying to do things God's way. I feel it almost every week of the gen- weekly and things I do, I just feel that just, man, just bombardment, bombardment. I'm like, and my kids, thankfully, taught me long ago because I guess I maybe taught them first, Dad, that means it's going to be a great episode this week. When you're just being, you just feel overwhelmed, you're almost discouraged and you're, whatever. Because that means you're over the target if you're having those things happen. And so when I was making these films, oh, Agenda 2 while making it, I lost my voice for 18 months. And that's why I couldn't do the narration. It was just so, it was like, I can't, it was just so different. I couldn't do it because I'd already done some of it. And I'm like, they're going to go, who is this? Is this a different narrator? It wouldn't, and it was just over. And the day I finished the film and FedExed it off to be, the next morning at breakfast, I came down and the kids go, your voice is normal. And it was. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Just God allowed that attack. He allows the attacks, but he will use them for his good. It causes you to depend on him more if you're following him. So why would Satan, why did God let Job attack Satan? Because one, he, as a testimony to us, oh, that's how the world works. Job had no idea that that was going to be written down where hundreds of millions of people were going to be reading that story and be encouraged. That, oh, sometimes bad things happen to good people, but God has a purpose in it. And so we need to do what Job did and say, naked I came from my mother's womb. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever happens to me. Because he's got a purpose in it. So it's just trusting your heavenly father. He knows what he's doing. I trust him. And if he allowed my child to die or something, which we've been through that, I'm sure many of you have been, he's got a purpose. And so you go, it's okay. I'll cry, but I'll depend on him more and be thankful for the ones I still have or whatever. It's just, all things work together. So just, just know that. But you're going to be attacked. And then the arrows that are coming at you when you have something bad happen to you are... How could God let that happen to you? How dare he do that? I, as if we have right to say anything after he's died for us on the cross. I'm like, if I have to be a slave my whole life, no problem. If I have to sit in prison, my friends and I that are all into waking the world up, we'll probably be sitting in a prison in, you know, down in Guantanamo Bay, you know, back to each other, strapped tied together with hoods over our head and uh, whatever. But God will be right with us if we do have to do that. Just like he's been throughout history. He loves his children. He, he'll be there with you. And so don't question him when things don't make sense. Just trust him. You know, he, he knows what he's doing. I just trust him. I don't have to understand because I know he's doing it for my best interest, even the things that don't look like they are. Just two more questions and we'll be done. Um, second to last question here. Why didn't communism die? It didn't die because man, certain men have a just insatiable desire to control others. That's their, you know, we all have different weaknesses. Some people are just, it's, they're prone to tell a lie or something. And other people, that is not as much a weakness or, or whatever it is. And so certain people on this planet, and that's many of our politicians today. That's the number one thing I noticed as I was a politician in Idaho. 
this whole thing is attracting the wrong person to begin with. Even in Idaho, so many of my buddies, I could tell they were there for that name tag. That's what totally drew them there. It wasn't the cause. It wasn't standing up for what's right. It was the name tag. They would wear it even when we left the Capitol to, down the Like, take your name tags off. We're going to eat. No, we want them to see who we are. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I mean, it's like junior high. I mean, this is embarrassing. I'm taking mine off. I don't, I'm going to have lunch. I don't need to show off or whatever. But, but I realized that. And that at the federal level is even worse. And so man is just is prone to, to want that power. And the communist system is the greatest way when you've removed God from the situation for man to have the power he wants, which is total control. And who, the ultimate person behind, of course, is the being is Satan because he wants total control because he knows God has total control. He mimics everything God does. God's in total control. I want to be in total control. If God has his disciples, I want to have my disciples. If, I mean, everything God does, he mimics it but perverts it in the process where it's the opposite of what God intended. And so that's all that is. Communism will always be with us as long as there is sin in the world because it is, is the perfect system for man to do whatever he wants with no consequences, um, even if it's just the top leader. And then lastly, at the end, I think it was of Agenda 2, you mentioned how you realized God allowed these things to happen. God has allowed these wicked people to uh, push this agenda. Could you speak about how it, it affected you as to why God has allowed this to happen. What does that say about us? And then lastly, again, uh, what must we do in response to that? Anytime you see evil prospering in world history, it's when God's punishing the righteous. I mean, he just, that's when he brought up the, you know, the, the, the group, at, the Philistines, wherever they come to go slaughter the Israelites. When you see that happen, you go, God's doing something here, and it's to, to, to judge the righteous. They're obviously not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So, yeah, as the more I studied this, I realized I, I was asking him the question, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And then I realized, oh, that's right. You, you set a principle to govern the universe. You reap what you sow. And, and, you, and, and we turned our back on you, so, I mean, we threw them out of the schools, in the 60s, we said, we don't want you here. We threw him out of the public. We've thrown him out of politics. So he said, I'm just giving you what you get when you throw me out. I have to do that because I am just and I'm holy. But from our point of view, he's always doing that to turn us back to him and to get us to repent because he loves us. Um, and so, yeah, it's just it's it's sobering as you look what's going on in the world, but you realize we deserve what's going on in the world. It's punishment because we, we, we I mean, again, when, when the schools took prayer out in 62, I believe it was, or three or whatever, um, just think about this. What did the Christians do in America? And back then it would have been a big percentage, 70% of people would have at least claimed to be a Christian or more. What did they do? Nothing. If every... Christian in America would have taken their children out of the schools the next day, guess what would have happened the next day? It would have been back in because they have to have the kids to make the thing work, to get the funding, to have the money. But we've never been willing to stand up for anything. Roe v. Wade happens. What do we do? Oh, it's too bad. <laughs> but, 
We don't say any doctor, any hospital doing this, we will ban, we will boycott, we will, I mean, we will stand out and picket 24, where they would have to submit, oh, okay, we can't do this. But we're like, oh, that's too bad, that shouldn't be. Oh, what's on TV tonight? It just went back to sleep. So God is shaking things up as he does, just like he did with Israel over and over again. But I believe in my heart, just like Israel, if we who are born again on our knees go, God, help us. I know we deserve all this. Forgive us for our sins. But just would you uh, uh, supernaturally allow us to take back things? I know he could do that. And so I'm not ever giving up. I'm not ever saying, well, it's, he'll be coming back soon, so it doesn't matter. I'm like, no, I'm accountable for every second I've been placed on this earth. And I will stand before him and give an account of that. And I want to be found faithful in the time, the treasures, and the talents that he's given me. Uh, because he's worth it. And any sacrifice you have to make, when you, the day you see his face, he'll go, I was worrying about that or this or whatever. You'll go, oh my goodness. Why wasn't I serving him like I should have every second of every day? Telling people about him, living differently so they see he makes a difference, making him look good in my life because they know I'm a Christian and I'm making him look good and stuff. So just that's what I want to encourage you to do. Just you have the truth. And you go, well, I only have two friends. Influence those two friends with the truth and live the truth, and then pray, God, would you bless my little loaves and fishes? That's that when we finished Agenda, we had a huge Thanksgiving dinner, and it was in July. <laughs> and we were so grateful to be done. And while we were having that dinner, I started to, all of a sudden, Satan was not going to let me have any joy. My spirit was vexed in thinking, wait a minute, yeah, we're done, but how do we get this to anybody? I mean, we, we're, we don't know anybody hardly. And it, but we learned because we've been praying for two years, fasting and praying every single Friday for two years and, and, and just praying so much more every day that God would help us and direct our path that we said, no, 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 let's go down. And we all got in the living room on our knees. We had the one copy of the film I'd finished and we said it there and we said, God, you ask us to do this, we did it. Now we are giving you our loaves and fishes and we're asking you to feed the 5,000. In just that first film alone, we don't know all what God's done with it, but over 25 million people watched it when we put it online for free over the years on and off. And it, spread, it has spread so far. In 2010, a one man that was a famous college professor from Brazil, he came across it. He called me and said, can I put this, translate this into Portuguese? The communists are taking over our country right now. And I said, absolutely take it. Never knew what happened until two years ago. I had a Brazil news show call me, want to do an interview. I'm like, okay, why would you want to talk to me? Agenda. And I said, oh, you know about Agenda? He goes, Agenda. He goes, everyone in Brazil has watched Agenda. That's why we have a Christian president today. I was like, what are you talking about? They go, that guy made hundreds of thousands of copies and had it shown in every church in Brazil. And they woke the people up, and they have a Christian president now, and they had a communist president in 2010. But that's what God, I didn't do that. God did that. And I know when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a thousand more stories like that of God said, I told you, just give me your loaves and fishes. I'm the one that does the miracle. 
I do all this stuff. So don't think, oh, I'm a little nothing. I gave a track to that guy. Who knows? That might be the next Billy Graham or whatever. I mean, you don't know. But I promise you this. Now, one thing you did for the Lord when you get to heaven will be, oh, it wasn't a big deal. It will all be a big deal. And you will see just like the little boy that gave. This is all I have. I think we're going to be blown away. Every single thing we did, we're like, that's what you did with that little track? The guy threw it on the ground. Yeah, but I had another guy walk by and pick it up. And he got saved. And his family got saved. And he went to be missionaries and whatever. I, I just know it because that's who he is. He's an all-powerful, loving God that put it, and he's purposeful. And he put us here to be purposeful. And he wants to use our efforts. So I just be encouraged. and Always remember who God is. But, but we are in a real battle for our country and for freedom and for biblical principles. Well, thank you, Curtis. Uh, it's been such a blessing, and we could go on for hours, but uh, we have to stop sometimes. So I will close this in a word of prayer, and that will end our conference. And again, tomorrow, uh, Curtis will be giving the sermon uh, at the service, which starts at uh, 1045, so everyone is invited. He will be teaching out of the book of Nehemiah on rebuilding the walls, and so we look forward to that. Let us close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time of question and answer. We thank you for all that we have learned today, that we have studied, that we have talked about, that we have heard taught. Lord, we do pray now that you would use this, as Brother Curtis was talking, the loaves and fishes, that you would use this in a mighty way in our church and in our local area and on the Internet as it goes out and as others are watching. Please use it to draw others to Jesus Christ for salvation. And use it, Lord, we pray, to build up your people, to help us to know the times, and then to equip us into doing those things that you command us to do in your word. All for your glory, we pray. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.